0: Hey y'all, this is Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold from the Unfazed Podcast. Well, as you know, it's been a holiday week and we've been under the weather just a little bit, so we decided to share with you or reshare with you a fantastic episode featuring Dr. Sean Mark Anderson, Associate Professor, Communication Consultant, and Corporate Social Responsibility Expert. Yes, his new book is about to be launched, The Black Athlete Revolt, which we cannot wait uh, to share with you you. But while we have the opportunity, we're going to hit this replay today. So Lisa and I are really grateful for your following. And please remember to definitely send us an email info at unfazed.com. Or if you want to reach out to us individually, Shauna at gold enterprises LLC.com or Lisa at try to defy.com. Talk to you next week.
1: I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your
0: normal and challenge your brain to go the distance.
1: So I have been... Um toying with this idea for some time, but this year I decided not to review my NFL uh, Denver Broncos season tickets. So I thought they'd already gone, right? Because I thought with the pandemic, I didn't renew last year that I wouldn't have these tickets, but I still had them. And I decided that I didn't want to do it anymore. Mm. (laughs) I've been contacted about eight times by the Denver Broncos in various either phone or email well hmm. after the deadline to renew because clearly they're struggling. Right. Um, but for me, it just felt like I didn't want to put money into an organization that hasn't really done a great job of supporting their athletes, particularly the athletes of color when they have stood up, um, you know, in favor of social justice, social change. And obviously the person that springs to mind here is Colin Kaepernick, but it wasn't just Colin Kaepernick. He started things and there have been other athletes obviously through time. And that, um, NFL just hasn't really stepped up in terms of that social corporate responsibility that we've talked about. Um, mm-hmm. And as we see more and more athletes of color stepping up or kneeling, um, mm-hmm. they're just they're not being treated well by these large organizations. And so I'm just done. Mm,
0: yeah, yeah, I hear you on that. Well, and you know what's interesting, I I know when to stay in my lane and when to come out. Um, I will stay in my lane on this topic. I have a friend of mine, an academic friend of mine who has recently uh, gotten tenure and promotion, congratulations, Um, but he's written a book on this very topic. So I think maybe we should call him in and talk about this topic with a true expert that knows the history of social corporate responsibility, athletes stepping up to the plate to do what they should do in the name of social justice, He's the expert in that area. So maybe we should call him in.
2: Hey, Sarah Gross here.
0: I'm Catherine Taylor. Sarah True here. Hey there. This is Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold. Celine
1: here. I'm Haley Chura. Hey, it's Alyssa Godeski here. I'm a professional triathlete, Ironman champion, professional triathlete, health and fitness writer, a gravel cyclist, a two-time Olympia, and former All-American triathlete founder and CEO of Feisty Media. None of us would have had the opportunities we've
2: had in sports without the passing of Title IX and the changes that came in its wake. So, as the hosts of Feisty Media's podcasts,
1: we decided to band together and create a series to tell the stories behind the law that changed everything. This special series will be presented on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed subscribe now to the feisty women's performance podcast this is nine 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 nine
2: nine
1: raise your hand if you believe we need more women at our triathlons the team at lifetime is right there with you their main focus The iconic verizon new york city triathlon coming up on july 24th
0: and lisa i did this race in 2016 and i have to say it was like being shot out of a cannon with a thousand of your closest friends at the start of the swim but i hear unlike 2016 this year they added a duathlon distance and implemented a rookie refund program all to get more racers like you of every age, skill level, and background to race the greatest city in the world.
1: So let's ride a better future for endurance sports together. Visit nyctri.com today and reserve your spot. That's nyctri.com today.
2: Whether you run, ride, Hike or swim, you understand what it means to push harder, reach farther, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build endurance, boost energy, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. And when you connect Inside Tracker with your Fitbit or Garmin, you'll also unlock real time recovery pro tips after you complete your workout. It's like having your own personal trainer and nutritionist in your pocket. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash feisty and use the code FEISTY for 20% off. That's insidetracker.com forward slash FEISTY.
0: All right, everyone. I am super excited about today's podcast uh, because as you all know, we are pretty well connected in the endurance sport community, but we're also academicians. Um, I think the majority of our guests have been PhDs, JDs, you name the Ds, all of that, that have been invited on the show. And the same for today with our first male guest. Now, let me be clear. We wanted to make sure that our first male guest, and you never know, you may be the only male guest, we'll see. Um, we wanted to make sure that uh, he was dynamic and powerful when it comes to the work that he's doing, both um, in the social justice area, but also in the um, athletic area. We. Focus on endurance sports in this podcast. And so we're talking about runners, triathletes, cyclists, uh, marathon swimmers, um, uh, road cyclists, mountain bikers, you name it. We've got a little bit of everybody in here. Um, And so today we have Dr. Sean Mark Anderson that's here with us. I'm so glad that you were able to make the time to be with us because we know your schedule is busy especially given that you are a newly tenured faculty member absolutely, sir
3: absolutely. how you doing oh i can take a breather now right <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yes it, oh yes
3: you know it was, it was so interesting and, and of course thanks for having me and, and i feel absolutely. so honored first of all and blessed to be your first male guest so so i, I feel really special today made, made my week so uh but yeah but no it it, it was so funny uh, uh me and a couple of other colleagues in, in other departments at my university we were all just waiting for that the the, the decision letter right and what's so interesting is that uh my university at uh, Loyola Memorial University they, they don't have like a set day where they tell you they just say yeah really? yeah you have to wait uh, uh it's like written in the handbook oh you'll find out in April or May <laughs> oh, no. And right. Ooh. And so uh, I, we found out, of course, usually you get the notification late April. But with everything that's going on, especially out here in California, there were just some delays. But when I got that um, email, let me tell you, I shut everything <laughs> down. I turned on Netflix and that was uh, it for that day.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Shut everything down. Yes, absolutely. Now, that's incredible because... Th- that is almost like psychological torture here waiting oh. for that <laughs> for that letter to come through. Yeah, uh, but that's incredible. So now now I can officially say Sean Mark Anderson, PhD, associate professor yeah. of organizational communication. There is a difference between a big difference between assistant and associate professor. Oh, yeah. Um, so congratulations to you. Thank so you. incredibly proud. Um, I say it all the time when it comes to men of color, especially in academia, y'all are making the road uh, to be paved more smoothly for my two. Uh, you know, Now my two are seven and 10. Uh, so they're getting up there. Um, yep. and, and they know uh, what their options are. And college is certainly always on the table. So grateful for everything that you've done to get to this point, just to be a role model in that area. Thank you. Um, and so I'm, I'm so interested. So tell me about this forthcoming book. Because the title grabbed me as soon as yep. I saw it. And you know, we follow each other on social media. But the title just grabbed me, and y'all, the book is entitled Shut Up and Dribble, The Black Athlete Revolt in the Age of Hashtag Black Lives Matter. And Lisa and I, um, you and and Lisa Ingerfield, uh, Dr. Ingerfield is my co-host, you all have the same degree, and so I'm so sad that she can't be with us now, but I think it's so crucial that we've talked about communication, the use of words, and the use of one's uh, privilege, and positionality in the world to be an ally to other people, right? And so I, I'm just so interested in the book. Tell me how you um, kind of I don't want to say stumbled upon the topic, but how did it pique your interest enough to get to the point where you wanted to write an entire book and do your research on this topic?
3: Right. So, so uh, the thing is, uh, the media for, for so long on, on on whatever political side of people, you know fall on you just hear this sport and politics, sport and politics, right? Mm-hmm. And uh you 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 see so many people for it against it. <clears throat> it should mix, right? That's 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 the the, the big thing that, that we hear. And so I was just like looking at the media and I see this stuff over the years and I'm like it just makes me cringe because it's like <laughs> people don't understand as much as you want sport and politics to not be together. It is a marriage. It is a marriage that has Mm. been here. Mm -hmm. It is a marriage that has been here well before Muhammad Ali, who was my favorite athlete of all time. Mm
0: -hmm. It was Mm -hmm. established
3: well before that. And Mm. it is here to stay. And Mm. so it, it made me think about an idea of how do we talk about, first of all, the history of this union, okay, Um, how it has sort of transformed over the years, and where do we go from here? And how do we Mm. use sport as a platform for not only calling out racial injustice, police brutality, or any other forms of societal issues, Mm -hmm. but how do we use this platform now to engage in true policy reform? Okay, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the title of the book came about uh, when LeBron James was talking about, you know, certain issues. And I remember that. Yeah. Right. right Mm -hmm. Early off in his career, he was a bit not, not skeptical, but he was really trying to really understand how can he use his platform to engage in these matters. And when he was told to shut up and dribble. I was like, that's it. (laughs) <laughs> oh
0: yeah oh and, yeah
3: and and it, it it but it is not i bring up lebron but it's not to say that he's the only person that is doing it and he's certainly not the the athlete that uh has the most shine on this you know we're talking about college athletes the WNBA, sure right sure. Mm-hmm. And, and, but but it, the basis of it is how has the black athlete revolt sort of transcended, of course, this is within the Black community, but it has transcended to cause other athletes, white, you know, this global movement of social Mm -hmm. injustice. And so then the premise of this book, as I say, is to how can we now look at sport to engage in true policy reform? And what I would lastly talk about is what I call the sport justice movement. And uh, it's sort of taken upon this concept of sport and politics and sport and social justice. These are not separate issues anymore.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's
3: right. one thing, and it's unified, and it's mm-hmm. a movement uh, right. that is seemingly changing the world as we see it.
0: Right, right. Well, and you know, I think what's so interesting is that, as, especially as we're relating to the Black Lives Matter movement, I know um, Lisa is going to be just standing up and cheering as she listens to this portion because we have said something very similar around we we don't want to extract endurance sport from allyship from social justice from any of those issues they are inextricably linked right and our concerns have kind of circled around endurance sports that are a, quite a quite a bit different from Uh, the NBA, NFL, for example, um, that they are in the endurance sport community, especially in the triathlon community that Lisa and I are in. uh, We're coaches, we're athletes, you know, all those things. We are predominantly white. Mm -hmm. We are all extremely, or or I would say relatively affluent. You know, the the low-end bike that someone would buy, like, you know, Sean, I got a lesson in Mathematical numbers and money. When I started triathlon, because what I thought was expensive was cheap once I walked in the door. (laughs) When I went to that when I went to that bike store that day and they said eight hundred dollars was the low end of a bike. I'm like, say what? Say what? Um, Now I I adore my uh, bike that I have now that's closer to five figures, and and I've now almost gotten used to that. And so what I'm saying is that we are by the demographics by. Uh, USA triathlon surveys. We Uh are extremely affluent. We are extremely highly educated. Of course, it makes sense. You uh, have a lot of education, which means you make a certain amount of money, which enables you to do what we do. And so we're at a place where LeBron and Muhammad Ali and many others could say, I'm from that community. So I get it. And I have an obligation to do the work in the white and white male triathlon community it's i don't understand why we have to have this conversation i have the privilege of saying i don't want sport and justice and policy to be linked i have the privilege of doing that and so lisa and i are in a place of how do we get people to care about these topics which is part of the reason why we started this podcast right. and so i think it's so interesting the dem- the demographics are so different and so, and this is not to say we don't have people in the endurance sport community that care. They, many do. Uh, but there are a lot that say, look, I'm just here to race. Okay. I'm just, I'm swim, bike, run. That's it. This ain't got nothing to do with me in my life. Um, and so getting people to see that inextricable link and how it affects everything else that we do, especially with that link to policy. So right. what might you say to people who may think that there's no need for policy change or the policy that affects a marginalized or oppressed group doesn't really affect me in the majority. What would you say to those people around that policy piece?
3: You know, again, uh, it's, it's and, and not to sound you know mean or harsh, but it's incredibly naive to escape those two notions because again, you, you're talking about, the, the argument has always been, well, I'm paying you as a fan, I'm paying you to watch you
0: entertain uh, to entertain me. entertain me. Right,
3: right. right. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, but then I, I, I question, okay, yes, they make millions of dollars or yes, these sports are becoming uh, very popular, especially in the Olympic realm, um, that at the end of the day, after they're done entertaining, you know, they still have to go home. They still have to care for families, no matter how, you know, no matter what you say, Mm -hmm. And so um, people don't even really understand that that even taking it back to the Olympics years ago when it first started, it was a platform uh, that spoke to uh, how ways in which you could raise funds or awareness towards certain social causes, Mm -hmm. you know, and that sort of notion trickled down to what we see today is that. It's kind of a, you have, to, you have to get over the fact that it's, it's something that you don't want because it's here, it's been here. Mm-hmm. It's going to be something that's going to stay so long as these social issues occur. So first mm-hmm. of all, get that out the system. <laughs> Secondly, <laughs> right. you know, right. um, it, we're seeing it now more than ever from the late 80s to maybe the, the early 2000s where this sort of activism concept was dormant because athletes were receiving the the biggest contracts ever, endorsements, Uh, Nobody wanted to lose mm -hmm. money, right? Mm -hmm. But you're seeing them say, okay, enough is enough. I'm popular. I have a large platform or I have at least fans in my specific uh, sporting industry that, that rely on me to not only entertain, but I have to do something people are pushing for organizations to be more socially responsible than ever before. Yes.
0: Yes. uh, You know, Mm -hmm.
3: ever since the 2008 crash, you know, things are organizations can no longer be bureaucratic and and hide what they do. Society beckons for you to be better. So that's the second thing we are in a place and space where people are tired, people who give their money, you know, are, are looking for these people to not only be their heroes, in a sense, but to also be better for their communities. And, mm. and the last part I would say is you, if you didn't want sport and politics together, then you wouldn't have signed up to have this these stadiums brought into your communities.
0: Right? Oh, you're because, saying something now, brother. I know, hadn't even put that together.
3: You know, because yeah. here's the thing, you know, people don't understand that the when, when stadiums oftentimes come to certain communities, you know, it's a situation to where you're dealing with the local government, you right. know, municipalities, people signing up, mm-hmm. people signing up you know, uh, conducting all the research and then saying that, hey, if I come into your community, I'm going to be better for your community. I'm going to help build it up. Yes, you bring know,
0: revenue in. Bring revenue in.
3: Mm-hmm. But then we all know when it comes to the Olympics, when it comes to uh, uh, right now here in Inglewood, um, you know, people are, are boycotting, you know, this mm. is it's not going to work for us. You're kicking us out of our communities. Right, right. right. Mm-hmm. So sports mm. bring themselves into a place of having to be responsible. And they're just getting called out for it, for not being so. So you
0: you, you can't mm -hmm. avoid it at this point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and we see something similar in triathlon too, where whether it's a local uh, race director or event coordinator, or if it's a larger brand like uh, Challenge Triathlon or Ironman Triathlon, there's an entire business plan and proposal. They have to research and, and do all this and make some inroads within the greater community in order for these races to occur. Right. And so they're looking for that positive footprint of, okay, you're gonna bring more money into that restaurant that's two blocks away from the course because you know, while you know, your, your spouse or your friends are waiting on you in this eight hour or sometimes you know, 17 hour race, they're going to eat here or sit there or shop there while you're racing to come see you. Um, or of course, hotels, we, we descend upon entire cities right. to uh, to be there, to compete and we bring our families and our friends, at least pre COVID. Um, and so given that they are required to provide a kind of a business plan of sorts saying that we are going to be corporate resp- corporate responsible Um, organizations because we talked about this before a couple of episodes ago around what corporate social responsibility could and should look like especially in endurance sport and so it's okay to say oh well we're going to make sure we don't tear up your um your lake that we're going to swim in for the triathlon or we are going to actually come in and bring some money to your municipality because they'll give more money to smooth out the road so we can come ride bikes. But then when Black Lives Matter comes up or LGBT issues or whatever, then all of a sudden, oh, wait a minute, the, the limits of our corporate social responsibility stop at a certain point. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's uh, not, right. That's not how this is supposed to be here.
3: Yeah. Yeah, you know, cause the, the thing is what, what, what people are, are not understanding is that uh, me too black lives matter these movements right they black lives matter started out as an organization that purely or i should say initially focused on police brutality issues among black and brown individuals okay and with any type of organization there's going to be change or, or growth i should say and so they've grown into this organization that just combats various societal issues that affect black people as a whole. And you have the the Black Lives Matter global movement, all of these things, right? And so what I think is the culprit to the dissension that we see uh, relative to the movements and the people who disagree with them is the fact that you are changing a systematic regime that has been in power for ages. Okay, right, nobody, yeah, no, right. not a lot of people want change. I, I, you know, I, I, I fixed up my my office the way I wanted it, man, and I don't want somebody to come in to change <laughs> that's
0: it. That's right. That's <laughs> you right. You know me right.
3: how how I like it, but um, how I see the the the, the black athlete revolt in the age of Black Lives Matter. Is is now this introduction to how technology mm. right, has opened up vast areas of, 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 of spaces to where you know, privacy is, is, no, is not as strong as it used to be. That's Facebook, right. Facebook, Twitter, right. anything that an athlete put will put out, you know, will get scrutinized and scandalized all over the place, no matter if it's deleted. Right.
0: Oh, screenshot that thing in a millisecond. Exactly. And
3: and so um, while this movement. Has been deemed sort of the the, the new civil rights movement, it's completely it, it may have the same premise, but the way you go about pushing the movement forward is completely different from what we've seen in the 50s and 60s and how they went about. Just because of the globalization and technology that we see.
0: Yes. And so yes.
3: athletes now control their own narrative. Right? We have Ooh. the Players Tribune, in which any athlete who will have a thought or a topic about something that they care about, they can write an article of their own instead of waiting for the New York Times to write something about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And I believe the Black Lives Matter movement has allowed athletes of all kinds to be able to say that, okay, um, I may not know all of the facts, but I'm gonna do what these movements are doing, educate myself, build a platform, put a team around me and create strategies that will help the people that I care about, and mm-hmm. I think that's uh the biggest thing that we see. Uh, one mm-hmm. example about that is Kyrie Irving. I believe a lot of people okay, he seems a little off, he yes. seems a little crazy. You know, every time somebody creates a movement, right, you, 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 you're crazy, and, and they think you're crazy until you become successful, and then they start to take notes. That's but, right, um, that's right. And so, and he's, you know, he he went to Little Rock, Arkansas, my home state, and you know, kind of gotten the history of the Little Rock nine. He's helping George Floyd's family. You know, it, you're seeing athletes sort of put this care, this concern, these concerted efforts into these movements, I believe, like never before. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and you know, this is what You took my mind to another place because, of course, when Colin Kaepernick first took a knee, let's vilify him and and put some horns on top of his head because he was problematic for so many reasons Mm -hmm. Um, until, you know, people got more information about the background and him talking to a Green Beret and, you know, taking his advice, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, Colin Kaepernick was the devil incarnate, if you will. And as I was watching it initially unfold, I said, you know what, I, as, as much as I adore as well Muhammad Ali, I have a, a artwork of him in my house. Me um, too. <laughs> yeah, I, you got to, right. Um, and so, um, but even with him, I looked at it and said, okay, we're seeing, you know, Muhammad Ali 2.0, or, you know, we're seeing a pattern, even if we're not basing it on Muhammad Ali, we're seeing a pattern. You get vilified at first, and then all of a sudden you're a saint. Same thing happened with Dr. King. Same thing happened with a a lot of different icons in the black community. And so I was like, oh, we're seeing the beginning of this story because all of a sudden this is going to turn into a whitewash story of he was always right. When I'm like, hold up, wait a minute. I keep receipts, long receipts. And the receipts say when he first took a knee, he was a villain. He was problematic. He was divisive. Lisa and I have talked about divisiveness um, on this podcast as well. He was divisive. And now all of a sudden, you know, on the cover of GQ, and people are rethinking it. There, it's not as much of a visceral reaction to him now as it right. was originally, and so you see this. Um, and I'm wondering if you see this as well. This kind of arc of development over time to audiences that are like, "Wait a minute, let me rethink this thing," or even if they don't agree, they're not as you know, volatile about their disagreement. They're like, well, maybe they have some points here. And maybe that group has some points. Do you see the, an arc of change when it comes to this where initially it's extremely, uh, it's like a lightning bolt. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden we look back in reflection, like mm, hindsight is twenty twenty. 20 I get some of that feel and I'm wondering if we saw some of that, whether it was with LeBron or, or anyone else that you included in the book.
3: Yeah, no, uh, so to answer that question immediately, yes, there is change. Uh, but I would fashion to say that, okay, for example, you talk about a diversity and inclusion a lot with, with a lot of your work. Uh, and, and with organizational communication, um, that's one of the areas that I focus on under this whole umbrella of social responsibility, right. uh, specifically with sport organizations. Mm-hmm. I will call out to say that, yes, we are seeing a lot of change. We're seeing organizations say, okay, we want to create a more diverse and inclusive environment we have beefed up our numbers in this particular area mm-hmm. but the problem that we're seeing now is retention whereas ah, people mm-hmm. are you're getting the numbers but the assimilation and the socialization processes that we see in organizations don't fashion themselves to keep whoever it is that they've decrease those numbers by you know, they're not staying because right. the, or, the culture is not changing. OK, so I'm saying that to say, yeah, we, we, we're seeing a, a, a lot of changes in the realm of uh, athlete activism and how it's actually kind of pushing these organizations, the, 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 the NBA, mm. the NFL or NASCAR, any of these sort of organizations yes, to be like, OK, well, we really got to sit down and look at this. I mean, the NFL even admitted that it handled the Kaepernick thing wrong. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, but, but after time, after they went through this whole vilification for not standing up for these issues in the first place.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
3: always question people. I, I teach a sport and public communication class and we talk about all these issues. And I, and I challenge the students. OK, some of you agree. Some of you disagree with Colin Kaepernick. You know, I can't change your mind. You, you're young adults. But have you ever taken a look at his website? Oh, we didn't know he had a website. Oh, oh okay, take a look at it. It's called the know Your Rights Campaign, right? Or, and right. on this website, he talks about all of the issues that he was fighting for, and he's give, gave a laundry list, right? Those receipts, right? of all of the organizations right. that he's right. made his pledges to over that mm-hmm. year campaign nobody knew a anything about that mom's the word right right and, and, and so I've always said that sport organizations are, are very reactionary versus having sort of a, uh, a a flexible guide in which they can work to handle these issues you know mm. uh, mm-hmm. over time as they, as they it's always Right. Oh, we'll investigate the matter and, and we'll see what to do from that point.
0: Yeah. So
3: so the change is there. How sustainable that change is, uh, that's the work that I'm looking into.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me a little bit about your take. I know this is a little bit of a rabbit trail. It might be from the book uh, in and of itself. But, you know, I was so fascinated, fascinated watching um LeBron showed the barbershop on HBO and I was watching, I mean, I watched, you know, his interview of, of president Obama, you know, all every episode. Um, and what I found so interesting was that they, um, had a lot of WNBA athletes that kind of, you know, dropped what they were doing and supported the cause, whether it was get out the vote or, you know, and, and so that prodded me to ask you about how women have fit into this movement. And what does that mean for women standing up, women who are already disenfranchised in certain ways? Like, you know, a woman that's playing in the NBA, look, she doesn't have millions in the coffers to be like, okay, I'm walking away from this for a minute and I'll be back. Like a LeBron or or even not even a superstar, like a, a LeBron, even someone that might be second string in the NBA is making more than possibly a star in the WNBA. But the women seem to be really taking on the effort for many different things. Get Out the Vote was one that was more prominent last year. Right. Uh, but where do you see the women fitting into the movement since we, our, most of our audience is uh, made up of women?
3: I believe that they do not get enough credit. Okay. we Again, we talk about LeBron. We talk about Kaepernick. We talk mm-hmm. about all of them. But I truly believe that when this all occurred, when, when Kaepernick had his knee and it became a polarizing situation in the media, that the WNBA held the platform strong. I mean, it was. Oh, wow. The concepts of beyond, you know, taking a knee and, and wearing the shirts, but there was a call from the WNBA, not, not just players, but the leadership. To call for instances of change that were of high magnitude, and and to your point, I think that's the greatest thing that we can see, is that there are not millions of dollars flowing into their bank accounts, you know, uh, not as many endorsements, uh, if you will. And so many may say, okay, well, well, male athletes are, are more afraid, they have more to lose, they can lose their endorsements. But if I'm thinking, if the WNBA and its players are not making as much money as these NBA players at the beginning, yet they're going oftentimes harder than these male athletes, then that's more justification to say that they have the most to lose. That's right. (laughs) right. And Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. again, you know, a, a, a lot of people, don't really understand that it was the WNBA that was really really pushing for social reform social change mm, mm-hmm. like you say the the, 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 the campaign for voting um, mm-hmm. and also looking into instances of, of prison reform they even started their own justice movement you know wow. that nobody yeah. really talks about mm-hmm. and so I, I, I again, never want to not acknowledge that the important aspects of the movement from these athletes. And uh, again, I believe they don't get as much credit as they should. Mm -hmm. Many of them should be out there or or getting the recognition that they deserve sometimes Mm -hmm. over many of the athletes that are getting all the news right now.
0: Right. I Um, I, I
3: really wish to see that. And I actually, uh, in this book, have a chapter dedicated Mm. to the movements that they are pushing for.
0: Wow, that's incredible. That's incredible. So, you know, given that it it kind of reminds me of this um, kind of the suffragette movement, uh, but it does remind me a bit of that. Um, But also, we've seen that happen in, in our sport of triathlon, where, you know, we had to fight for you know, 50 elite spots at our world championships for women because it had already been 50 for men, for example. So, you know, certain things where we had to do as well, where it's like, you know, it would be common sense. You would have enough for both. But common sense is not common, apparently. And so there's layers and layers um, of disenfranchised that has to be it's like an onion that has to be peeled off in endurance sport for us where we see it all the time you know even the the purse was not as much for women as it was for men even though they covered the same distances some of them um covered the same distances faster than the top three men for example but they still got this little teeny purse and i'm like what right. is going on here with this money um and so same thing is happening in a in different sports as well yeah so um, i'm wondering because i know we're running out of time and your time is precious but this uh this episode will actually Air during June, which of course is Pride Month, and I'm wondering how you might see uh, the LGBT movements movements plural um, overlapping and possibly connecting with the Black Lives Matter movement, given that we know the challenges for LGBT people of color, especially in sport, um, is quite different. Um, so, just share with me a little bit about that, given that the timing um, is appropriate in the month of
3: June. Sure. So, you know, it's it's, it's so fascinating. That you know transgender sport, for example, is something that's that's uh pretty big right now. Um arguments from across the political spectrum, right? Uh, that's right. That's are, are, are making things um and this <laughs> is interesting. I was on this uh other podcast about a couple of weeks ago, and one of the hot seat questions was, um who do you believe is the most trusted news source out there? And I said, me. <laughs> I love and it. I you love it. like, what? I was like, I, well, look, I, I, I do this. I do a lot of people look at media and a lot of people will always post up uh, 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 something that has been said in the media that supports their particular cause. But I researched this stuff for a living. Right, so right. I, I will look at the media and I will get an assumption from it, but I have to go and fact check myself. Mm-hmm. But this, mm-hmm. where I see it is that, for example, I, I commend college athletes for challenging uh, these these sort of laws that are, banning transgender athletes from performing uh, in the sport in which they choose to perform in. And Mm -hmm. again, this is another platform where the Black Lives Matter movements, Me Too, have sort of spawned and created a platform for those movements as well to be able to shine and then speak on these social issues to, to again, create policy reform. The, the the mesh is there and it's not to minimize. And, and, and I understand a lot of people's arguments too, to where, okay, yes, we can talk about all of these issues without minimizing others. And I believe that we are pushing forward in a way that's allowing that it's going to be a while, you know, our society works, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I think, when it comes to sport and how we are now opening up things to um, you know, having uh, women like come into playing football and, and things like that, right. we're right. seeing it. It's sort of a test. But we're seeing if society can handle that, right? And if we can get more people to get more involved and to understand how these issues are important, I think uh, those movements will mesh together beautifully
0: hmm Well, and you know, these college students are not having it, okay? They're they going yes. to tell you exactly how they feel.
3: They are going to they push. They are powerful.
0: Oh, absolutely. Their voices will be heard. And so I, I say all the time, you know, even as an administrator for 25 years now, students, your voice, and, and I'm pretty high on the scale when it comes to senior leadership, and I still say that students will always have the most powerful voices, yeah. whether it's on campus or off campus. So I, I hear you completely on that. Well, I know we're running out of time, but just to wrap up one fun question that I would love to ask you because we have such an audience that's heavy uh, from the women in okay. endurance sport. Share with me, if you will, your favorite woman athlete. Who's one of your favorites? We already talked about Muhammad Ali, hands down, but give me a woman.
3: <laughs> oh, I'll have to say Althea Gibson.
0: Ah, uh, uh-huh,
3: uh-huh. The, Absolutely. The, the, Absolutely. the, 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 the amount of, uh, I'm gonna make up a word. <laughs> the amount of overcomeness
0: <laughs> that's what we do as phds we we make up words no. <laughs> overcomeness I love it. I love
3: it that, that, but to be able to, build such a lasting legacy. you know, during that time.
0: Oh yes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know.
3: I believe is monumental because when it, again, when it comes to, to my favorite athletes, I not only look at the, the talk that they do, but the, the, the way that they can back it up. And oh, yes. I, I, mm-hmm. I just, you know, I, I admire that. And whew, I, I want, I wanted to say Serena. Right. Right. Right.
0: You know,
3: <laughs> she's up there. She's up. There. She's up there. She's up there. I got. I said, Ooh. I, I mean, the <laughs> level of excitement that you could get from, you know, because sometimes, you know, we have to wake up. But she's playing in, in, you know, in Australia open and stuff like that. we got to be oh, on a certain time.
0: Middle of the night. I will get you up know, in the middle of the night to watch her. Yeah. Exactly.
3: <laughs> and then. The last thing about Serena is that, you know, I remember when they were trying to shut her down, her aggressiveness, because when she yells, it's a distraction to the other players. Like, get out of here. You know what I'm saying? If you if you you you're just say that you can't hang, that's all you saying. Exactly. <laughs> you know exactly. I mean?
0: that, that should not be a distraction. Get out of here. Right. The athletes yeah. have been doing that or or tennis players have been doing that for years. So why is it now a problem that a black woman is doing it? Right. I don't understand.
3: So, yeah. So, so that, 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 uh, S- Serena is, uh, I, I, I follow her, her deeply. Her and out there. That's, 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 that was my Oh,
0: two phenomenal choices. Two phenomenal. Look, I, I, look, I'm going to have to put myself on the list as like number 100 <laughs> on, on your list of favorite, uh, women athletes. Oh, there, come on. <laughs> 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 I'm out here trying, um, but I'm so grateful to have you on the podcast. You know, it's just such a timely uh, topic, and so I'm just so appreciative. I will tell people, don't don't walk, don't don't walk, but run <laughs> when the when the book drops. Run um, and pick up this book. I, I'm so excited for you, Sean, because at this point, you know, it's a perfect time in your career. It's a perfect time, even just in the context of the world, you know, globally, that this book drops. So once again, for y'all that didn't catch the beginning of the pod, go back. But uh, Dr. Sean Anderson, shut up and dribble, the black athlete revolt in the age of hashtag black lives matter. So grateful to talk with you and just catch up because we've been promising to do so for a while right. now. Um, but again, we are so proud of you, associate professor. Um, you. And please, we, we look forward to hopefully having further conversations with you. But uh, you as our, our first male guest, Uh, You you set the bar high, sir. You set the bar high. (laughs) appreciate that. (laughs) I appreciate you. Whether you're competing in a triathlon or swimming to
1: challenge yourself, Orca has fit for purpose swimwear designed to meet your needs. Innovation has always been part of Orca's DNA. And when it came to the development of their new triathlon wetsuits, a wide range of skill levels and different types of triathletes were taken into account.
0: Whether you're looking for maximum flexibility, maximum buoyancy, or somewhere in between, Orca wetsuits are designed to help you achieve better performance
1: in the water. It is performance made simple. For 15% off all items on orca.com, use the code LIVEFEISTY15.
0: All right, Lisa, I have completely lost my mojo for cycling. It's nowhere to be found. But maybe with a brand new bike computer, I'll get back into the swing of
1: things. I definitely know the feeling. Um, I did get a new bike this summer and a new bike computer. So I'm really hoping that those two will be the perfect match to get us back into our cycling routine.
0: The Hammerhead Karoo 2 is the most advanced GPS cycling computer available today, with industry-leading mapping, navigation, and routing capabilities that set it apart from other GPS options. Free global maps with points of interest included, like cafes or campsites. Lisa, you know we love our coffee, Mm -hmm. but that means that we can kind of explore
1: a little bit, and we can do that with confidence and on-the-go flexibility. You know, quite honestly, you sold me right there with the fact that it's going to tell me where the coffee is. I mean, that's that's really all I need. But also the Caro 2's touchscreen display is intuitive, responsive, and in full color. Yay. So your navigation experience is more like a smartphone than a GPS device. You'll see your data more clearly than ever, even in rugged conditions, since the screen is scratch resistant with anti-glare and water droplet projection.
0: Oh my goodness. And I am so rough on my electronics. I need the scratch resistant piece right there. But, you know, tens of thousands of cyclists have chosen the Karu two as their trusted riding companions, including Flora Duffy. Hammerhead's Karu two was named bicycling magazine's editor's choice in GPS cycling computers for the past two years and continues to collect accolades throughout the sport
1: so unfazed listeners we have an exclusive offer for you for a limited time you can get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a hammerhead caro 2 visit hammerhead.io right now and use promo code unfazed and remember that's with a ph and at the checkout to get yours today unfazed
0: we have a promo code lisa
1: Woohoo! Wow, Shauna, I'm so happy that you were able to talk to Dr. Anderson um, and for him to share all those great thoughts and perspectives. What did you think?
0: Oh, he is incredible. I mean, I'm really glad that uh, he ended up being our first male guest. (laughs) Now you can uh, see how valuable his work is to our work. Um, And so hopefully we can Mm -hmm. continue to be thought partners with him. Yeah. Um, But, you know, a couple of things really stood out to me. The entire interview, I felt he was incredible Um, But a couple of things that really stood out to me was, you know, just thinking about some of these topics around um, the arc of becoming a DEI leader. Um, And when you think about some of the people he named, you know, our favorite Muhammad Ali, uh, Colin Kaepernick more recently, what I think is really powerful about folks that become these heroes in the DEI space usually start out as the villains. And we can see that with lots of folks. I mean, Mm -hmm. we can see that with Dr. King, you know, outside of the sports community. But what I'm seeing as a common refrain is that in the moment, especially when they are disruptors, they are seen as the villain. You know, why are you the upstart? Why are you rocking the boat? That type of thing. And so for people under, you know, listening to this podcast, I really want to encourage you to be okay with being that villain initially, because someone has to be disruptive. And most of the time, people don't care for change. And so when you are the embodiment of change, especially in endurance sport, you're going to be painted as the upstart, the villain, etc. But later on, as people turn that corner of awareness and responsibility, uh, cultural competence, agility, all of that, they then may look back and say, oh, they really were right. Mm-hmm. They were a leader. They were a voice in a time where others did not have a voice. And so Not saying that people should strive to be heroes either, but just know that if you're the villain right now, that's not uncommon and you're in good company when it comes to Mm -hmm. that kind of role as a disruptor. Um, And then I would say the other thing that really stood out to me, and I was so grateful that Dr. Anderson gave us some language for this, but I really do think that going back to all that we've said about corporate social responsibility, it takes all of us to force the hand of corporations Mm -hmm. to respond and make change. And so I think that's something that even if you don't deem yourself as a quote unquote leader with a title or a role, you may not be the president of your tri club or whatever. You're just kind of, you know, the one hanging out in the back that just wants to be there to have a good time. You still can force the hand of all the different uh, corporations, businesses, whether they're small or large, force their hand to be responsive to what we see as important and valuable, which happens to be building the sense of belonging for people that want to be a part of the endurance sport community. So I think between those two things, I mean, the the interview was just incredible. And I'm so grateful he had the time to chat with me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about your villain to hero. And, you know, to my point initially about the NFL and, you know, how how um, vilified uh, Colin Kaepernick and his um, other and the other players that dealt with him. Uh, were. Mm -hmm. And then I think, you know, Roger Goodall came back around. That's the NFL commissioner, I believe, came back around like after George Floyd's murder and was like, yeah, we didn't do that well. We didn't treat him well, but it's too late. Right. At that point, because um, he has um, Kaepernick has been pushed out and um, ignored and made invisible by the NFL, like You know it's like a conspiracy right like they all banded together Mm -hmm. um and so i think to your point about pushing um is that that you know the nfl is not a good example right because there was this momentum this movement and the nfl responded so badly and then you know i don't know a year year and a half two years later was like oops (laughs) um and that's that's not effective right
0: right yeah. exactly exactly so yeah when the commissioner comes back afterwards and then fully apologizes and you know all of this again you know we've talked about that before on this podcast around timing and how timing is still integral to the change management process that it has to be delivered in a certain time period in a certain way so mm-hmm. you know that is a major concern I really think we should kind of continue to hold at the forefront of our thought about this but Um, yeah, that timing, uh, two years later, how much income lost by Colin Kaepernick, you know, all of that is really important to endurance sport, and so I'm interested to see, Lisa, um, it may be someone in the endurance sport community that kind of rises up to this role of the disruptor, I don't know, they might come out again, but um, it, it might even be a pro one day that stands up and says, look, no, I'm not coming to race in your North American world championship because of XYZ stance that you don't have as far as, mm-hmm. as, far as your corporate social responsibility. So I'm, I'm interested and I'm actually a bit more concerned when you don't have anyone jumping out there to be a leader. Um, the silence is deafening, if you will. Um, yeah. And so given that, you know, what, what will happen? Will it be just one of us uh, age groupers that are kind of hanging out in the back that continue to push forward this cause like we've been doing? Or will it be someone that's a pro that decides they want to be the Muhammad Ali, Colin Kaepernick of our sport? We'll see. Mm.
1: Yeah, I did think about that actually when um, during the interview, because I was thinking about the professional field in triathlon specifically, and to some extent in bike racing, um, that there isn't, there isn't a pro Right, that's stepping up and doing that, and I think that's absolutely that's right. yep. a product of the fact it's predominantly white, and so folks are not um, not feeling like it's their place. There's, all, I do understand, there's a financial risk, and right, but if you want to do the right thing, if you want to disrupt, then as a white person, that's the consequence, right? That's the consequence for social change, um, and so that you know, when I think about cycling, I think of Aisha McGowan she's, um, African-American cyclist. Um, one of the very, very few, and she is very vocal around mm-hmm. representation and how that matters and how cycling needs to do more, but there's no one else. I mean, that's not fair. I'm not, I don't follow cycling that closely. There probably are a handful, but she's the mm-hmm. loudest voice. Right? right. And so then Absolutely. when you have, um, triathlon that up until Sika, there were no, um, women professional triathletes of color. I didn't hear, I didn't hear a whole lot from professional, the white professional triathletes.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And, and let me just say my friend Sika Henry, who is now uh, a pro first African-American woman pro. Um, one of the things I was really proud of that she said in her social media after she got her pro card was, uh, people had already been asking her what's next. And she said, oh, trust and believe this is not the end of me and this is not the end of my voice um, and my vocal stance concerning inclusivity when it comes to Mm endurance sports, specifically triathlon. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm so grateful to have her voice and she needs some help (laughs) y'all. She needs
1: some help. Yes, she does. And actually that (laughs) makes me think of the comment that Dr. Anderson said about retention, right? Um, it's not enough Mm -hmm. to just bring people in. You have to work on retention and retention is tied to culture. So you have one woman of color, um, professional triathlete. Um, it's very, very challenging to be the only, um, Mm -hmm. in a Mm -hmm. predominantly white or predominantly male environment. So the culture needs to change, right? Um, In whatever endurance sport you're thinking about, it needs to change so that um, Mm -hmm. the the lone woman, the lone woman of color, the lone person with disabilities don't say, peace out, it's too stressful, I don't need this, and they leave, right?
0: Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Or for, you know, other reasons, they're completely humiliated, you know, in the sport, because mm-hmm. of whatever reasons. Um, I, I'll share with you very briefly, um, I, the, right before we um, recorded, I got to participate in this great event called Swim Fest, which is out at Fort Ritchie, Maryland, an old abandoned uh, military base, and what's really cool about that, you have an opportunity to swim in one or more of three different races, uh, a 750 swim, a 1,500 swim or a uh, 2,200 uh, meter swim. And so my friend, she participated in the 750. She had not been in open water in two years. Okay, let's let's just preface it by saying that. Mm-hmm. And none of us out here in Maryland have had any open water practice at all. So um, she had already shared with me before the race, hey, my goal is just to put my face in the water, girl. That's it. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just here to put my face in the water. After that, anything more than that is a blessing. I'm grateful for it. And so we're all kind of standing up on this grassy hill, watching everyone swim in the lake. Um, And my friend is the last one to get started. Now, the first eh, 100 meters or so was standable, actually. A lot of grass in there, but standable. Well, she is already having a panic attack, not even, what, 100 meters in. And I see her kind of stand up in the water and kind of shake her head a little bit. Now, what I have seen at other events is that this person would have been humiliated. No one would have said Mm -hmm. anything. People would Mm -hmm. have pointed people. It would have been complete silence. On that hill, I heard an entire community of triathletes. It almost gets me choked up. An entire community of triathletes cheering for her and saying, we're so proud of you. You can do it, et cetera. And just cheering her on and giving her the confidence to even get started. She was the last one to start. She was the last one to finish, but Mm -hmm. everyone was so proud of her. And that's what I imagine when I think about community. I've been in other situations where the last one to start and the last one to finish was humiliated. They've taken the the finish line down. They've taken up all the cups, all of that in the background. And this was not the case. And when I left, I just really felt like this is what the triathlon community should be all the time. It happens to be that this was more of a local event run by a local um, race uh, event coordinator. But this should be the big ones, this should be what Iron Man feels like, this should be what a lot of the larger challenge feels like, this is what it should feel like, and it doesn't, and so this is something that we can aspire to, so that people feel supported, and folks don't feel like they don't belong, because we've been talking about sense of belonging from day Mm -hmm. one, Mm -hmm. people like Ali, Kaepernick, tons of people, Sika, Aisha, all of them are doing their work so that more people come into the sport and they feel a certain way, the same way that my friend felt when everybody was cheering from, for her from start to finish. That's what we should have. We mm-hmm. don't have it yet. Mm-hmm. It's aspirational, but I think we can get there if the uh, Muhammad Ali's of the sport kind of step up.
1: Yeah. And it also shouldn't be just on the shoulders of folks of color or the, the group group. That is experiencing marginalization in whatever context that is right like that's right. That's allies right. co-conspirators need mm-hmm. to step up and stand beside right they also need to know when to step back and be quiet but mm-hmm. <laughs> there is right. that supportive piece um mm-hmm. and i think that's a really valuable and important point for us to think about and mm-hmm. you know <clears throat> the one the last thing i want to mention about dr anderson's Talk well, it's two kind of things. One is policy. Yay, policy change. Yeah, always about absolutely. policy change, right? So I was pretty happy to hear that. But then I just, you know, I was. It made me think of Tulsa, and the North American Championships that happened mm-hmm. there, the Ironman champs mm-hmm. this past weekend. And for those of you who don't know, twenty twenty one is the hundred year anniversary of the nineteen twenty one massacre of um, over a hundred. Uh, black residents of this community by white people and i'm i'm saying i'm describing that i'm not saying race riot or race massacre because i want to be really precise right many many black people including children were murdered by white people and so i wondered shauna with this being the first year men has been to tulsa because last year it didn't happen and it being the championship did they do anything you know,
0: right. Hmm. Hmm. Well, and I had to be a little nosy to see if they did something because I was curious. And yeah, they did. You know, they partnered. So, Race for Change they launched a campaign with an initial pledge of one million dollars to support programming that will help uh, really draw equity out of our sport and draw people of diverse backgrounds into the sport. And so, I was grateful that they had a things um, at the race itself. For example, you know, at the beginning of the run course, they had some signage uh, that really spoke to uh, some of the challenges that have happened, and hopefully people can feel uh, included, Um, and so I really am appreciative. Um, I was really doubtful, in fact, that anything happened, and so I was Mm -hmm. pleasantly surprised, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, I have a, a good friend of mine Um, who Kona qualified at Tulsa and so um, I'm going to ask him if he remembers seeing that signage I'm really curious now yeah but I'm grateful that they did something because it would just be completely uh, irresponsible especially Uh when it comes to corporate social responsibility um, this particular year at this particular time to ignore such a travesty that occurred Mm -hmm. Um, and and it's almost like all of those athletes uh, once again why am I getting choked up it's kind of like all of these athletes are treading on very sacred ground. Yes. I mean, literally the blood of black folks. Yes. Constitutes a portion of this race course, quite literally. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so what does that mean and how to acknowledge that? So I think they made a really good start. There's always more to do, but I think they made a good start in acknowledging what happened. I don't know if they had a a moment of silence or any other acknowledgement of the lives lost. Um, However, I think that's a great point. And so Here's what's next. How can large brands like Ironman or other smaller local races use this as the beginning of a model for how to be really cognizant of context? You know, yeah. they have to build out these entire business plans to even ask for uh, permission from municipalities and states and so forth to have these races there. As you're building out that business plan, you're researching everything else. You're researching how many restaurants are in the area, what's the hotel capacity in the area, what can be the uh, the course um, the uh, course permits. You know, what are the possibilities for, for courses mm-hmm. if they need to change? You're doing all that research. Why would you not do research on the identities that are represented in these? Actually, many of them are are mm-hmm. decent sized cities. Why wouldn't you do some research on that and
1: acknowledge that even in your business
0: plan? Um, because yeah. that's work that you would have to do anyway.
1: You'd have to do that anyway. And the history and the context of that location, right? Um, Absolutely. You know, we talked about environmental racism a while back there, but that's all a piece of this. So Mm -hmm. I think Dr. Anderson and you (laughs) gave us lots to think about this week, Shauna. Oh my goodness. I took pages and pages of notes. Um, Some things
0: uh, we got to uh, talk about extensively. Other things we only scratched the surface on. Um, I told uh, (laughs) Dr. Anderson... Um, And I did this without your permission, but I'm begging for your permission. uh, Um, But I do think um, a couple of things that we didn't get to talk about with him uh, were we're once again in a Olympic year and there's been a lot of buzz going on, not only about the Olympics, but also about the um, uh, International Olympic Committee banning Black Lives Matter from their uh, dress code and attire, mm-hmm. and so that's one question. I I feel sad that I did not get to ask him. Um, and also, uh, there's another thing that he brought up, even in a text after um, our conversation, that the Tokyo Olympics are willing to punish anyone who takes a knee. In fact, oh wow! And so, given that there is much more to do, and so uh, Dr. Anderson has already said that he's open and willing and excited to do a part two. Um, and hopefully you and I can be there to chat it up a little mm-hmm. bit about the Olympics, maybe a, a, a Olympic recap or something of that sort. But um, yeah, there's a few things I would love to uh, pick his brain about again.
1: Unfazed, a podcast produced by Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Millie Perry. Email us at info at com and find us on social media at Try to Defy, at Dr. Gold Speaks, or at Outspoken Women and Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed,
0: folks. See you next time.